Prosecutors say it was overkill, not just murder, but there was blunt force trauma even after death. Molly Corbett and her father, Tom Martins, say it was self-defense. Was Molly controlling Jason or was Jason abusive? There's no question he was murdered, but without any evidence, claims of abuse call for reading between the lines. This podcast contains adult themes, language, and violence. It is not suited to all audiences and may be triggering to some. In many cases, the names and details within these episodes have been changed to protect privacy. Opinions expressed by guests of the show do not necessarily reflect those of the podcast or its producers. Welcome to Isolated, a podcast about male victims of domestic abuse and control, as well as those suffering as a result of parent alienation syndrome. We are not therapists or experts in this field, but seek to bring these issues to light and provide awareness of early warning signs of abusive behavior and resources for help. Isos. I am Navi Carpenter. And I'm Chetta. And we have a story to bring you today. We don't know when and if we'll have episodes coming up, but we have one today for you. And again, it's another sad tale. Jason Corbett of Ireland met his wife, Margaret, in high school. The two married and went on to have two children, Jack and Sarah. Unfortunately, when Jack was two and Sarah was just a few months old, Margaret died after an asthma attack. As the plant manager of an international packing company, Jason still had to work and make a living for his family, and he needed assistance with the children. And after going through several sitters, Jason hired an American au pair, Molly Martins. It was a very unfortunate choice, one not entirely his fault. Molly, a 24-year-old model who dropped out of college and went from menial job to menial job, started trolling nanny websites in search of a vulnerable target with young children. She had gotten pregnant with her prior boyfriend, Keith, but ended up losing the baby. Keith also said she had a lot of mental problems. Molly felt that in ingratiating herself into a needy family, she would acquire the life that she wanted but couldn't seem to achieve on her own. Molly made herself out to be the angelic and magical answer to all of Jason's problems, and a romance began to bloom almost immediately between the two. Within the year of her hire, Molly and Jason were married and moved to a new home in North Carolina in 2011. At first, everything looked idyllic. Soon after taking the job, Sarah was calling Molly mommy. While Jason worked, Molly took care of the children and even coached a children's swim team. She looked for all intents and purposes like the proverbial soccer mom. However, she wanted to adopt Jason's children, as he allegedly promised she could, but he never followed through. After the wedding, Jason had discovered quite a bit about Molly's mental issues and the mistruths that she had told. He did, however, take out a life insurance policy, and Molly was the beneficiary. The prosecution also stated during trial that Jason planned to move back to Ireland the month of his murder with his children. It doesn't say if he planned to take Molly with him or not. But during their marriage, both Molly and Jason consulted attorneys with custody questions. Jason did not want Molly to have any legal grounds to maintain custody if they later divorced. Molly told a few friends about alleged abuse by Jason, and the neighborhood started to watch the couple closely. Chella, read this portion of an article for Elle by Alex Ronan. 
It says, quote, it seems a lack of visible evidence in Molly and Jason's failure to fit expectations of how abuse victims and perpetrators look and act made it harder to believe the allegations were true. To a lot of his neighbors, Jason was a great guy. According to the summary of an interview that prosecutors conducted with the neighbor and friend of the Corbett's, after hearing about the allegation, he didn't see signs in Jason nor bruises on Molly, and contrary to the expected behavior of an abused spouse, Molly was very open with others around, made jokes about Jason, and never seemed frightened of him. The Corbett's next-door neighbors reported that Molly would say things that did not add up, according to the prosecutor's interview summary, end quote. During one of Ronan's interviews with Molly, Molly admits she thinks she had an issue with lying. Molly's former college roommate said Molly kept a framed photo of a little girl in her dorm room, whom she said was her little sister that had died of cancer. But when the roommate went to Molly's childhood at home, there were no pictures of that little girl. She found it odd, and later, upon investigating the photo more closely, noticed it was just the photo that came with a purchased frame. Molly insisted during interviews that she hadn't had any framed photos in her dorm, but there is an email as part of the investigative evidence that she once sent to Jason saying, quote, other than my sister's death, nothing has ever devastated me so much, end That's quote. bizarre. I know. So she kept that particular lie going for years yeah. and just pulling it out when it suited her for sympathy. Apparently. And now she admits later that she never even had a sister. And during a book club meeting, Molly apparently told the ladies about her experience giving birth, which, of course, she had not. She just had a desperate wish to legally be a parent to Sarah and Jack so that she could leave Jason but not lose the kids. Tracy, Jason's sister, stated in an interview with CBS News that the Molly they met in Ireland was not the Molly who married her brother in the States one year later. Shall I read what she said? She said that Molly was, quote, just very controlling. She was angry, I would say. And for someone who was about to get married, you know, she just wasn't herself. She stayed in bed curled up in a ball. She didn't come out and socialize with anybody. What really set alarm bells ringing for me was when one of the bridesmaids told us before the wedding that Molly had told them that she had been friends with Mags, Jack and Sarah's mother, before she died of cancer. Mags didn't die of cancer. She died of an asthma attack, end quote. And Molly never met her, much less were they friends. Jason's family wondered if marrying this woman was a mistake. Jason's best man, Paul, said, quote, you are the most unhappiest man I've ever seen on his wedding day, end quote. Paul told him he should just take off and leave, wedding be damned, but Jason stood by his commitment to marry Molly. On August 1st, 2015, Jack was 10 and Sarah was 8. Jason sat in the driveway with his neighbor, David Fritsch, after the two mowed their lawns. They drank a couple beers while the kids played in the yard and their wives paused to chat with them. David testified that Jason appeared very calm the whole time, which was normal demeanor for him. Molly's parents, Tom and Sharon, were to visit that day and they arrived around 8.30 p.m. Leaving the Fritches, Jason met Tom and Sharon in the driveway and helped them unload their bags, carrying them inside. David watched from his house and testified that Jason's demeanor did not change when his in-laws arrived. They ordered pizza and ate shortly thereafter, all but Jack, who was at a party and returned home at 11 p.m. Molly said that everyone went to bed that night. Sarah had a bad dream and woke them up. Molly said it made Jason angry to have been woken up. They began to fight and Jason started choking her. According to Molly's written statement to police, read what she said happened, Chella. 
She wrote, quote, my husband, Jason Corbett, was upset that he awoke and an argument ensued with him telling me to shut up. And he applied pressure to my mouth and then started choking me again with his arm. My father, Tom Martins, came in the room and I cannot remember if he said something or just hit Jason to get him off me. Jason grabbed the bat from him and I tried to hit him with a brick garden decor I had on my nightstand. I do not remember clearly after that, end quote. Kind of strange to have a brick on your bed, right? It's not exactly something I keep. Garden I, decor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's hear Molly's father's side of the story. Tom said Jason was pleasant and social the evening they arrived, but in previous conversations with people, Tom had been criticizing Jason and talking negatively about him. He just didn't like the guy. He didn't hate him, but he didn't like him. On the night in question, Tom said that he heard screams and loud voices that woke him. He scrambled out of bed and grabbed a bat that he had brought with him as a gift for Jack. He ran upstairs to Molly and Jason's room and said he found them facing each other, Jason's hands around Molly's neck. Tom closed the bedroom door and asked Jason to let her go. Uh, Hold on. You see someone choking your daughter and you stop to close the bedroom door. I thought that was really strange too, but that's what the reporting and chilling crimes blog said as having it's even been, weird that it's mentioned. Yeah. Having been testified in court. Odd. He goes on to say that Jason said, quote, I'm going to kill her and started to move deeper into the bedroom with his arms still around Molly's neck. So Tom swung the bat at the back of his head, which according to Tom hit his head, but had no imp- you know impact on his movements. He mm-hmm. just kept swinging as many times as he could to distract him, he said. Okay, so let's just say he hit him in the head with a bat three times at this point. His testimony goes on to say that Jason took Molly into the bathroom. Tom hit him again with the bat. That's four times. Jason moved back into the bedroom and Tom hit him again. That's five. Jason then reaches out to grab the bat and he and Tom struggled, giving Molly an opportunity to get away. As they struggled for the bat, Jason shoved Tom across the bed and he fell face first onto the floor with Molly screaming, don't hurt my dad. Tom got up from the floor and said Jason was in a, quote, good athletic position, end quote, holding the bat. The two struggled for the bat again, and that's when Molly hit Jason with the brick paver. Tom took possession of the bat and hit Jason until he fell to the ground. So that's how Tom said it went down. As far as what really happens, all we have is the evidence. So let's look at that. Go ahead, Chella. What these stories never say is the intimate shit that goes on between a couple when one's, you know, manipulating and controlling or coercing the other. Uh, The story starts and ends with the violence as if that's all there is. You know, with your brother, we saw firsthand that so much of it happens before the violence. Yeah. That ends it all. Whether self-inflicted or murder or abuse. And I just, I want to see the emails and phone calls between these two, the text messages between all of them, Molly, dad, that's where the real horror is. Me too. I agree. But in this case, the physical evidence is all we are given. Was he controlled and manipulated? I would point my finger in that direction because of how Molly trolled for a target, lied about herself, took advantage of a man who was grieving and in need of help. You know, during the court testimony, it came out that prior to their marriage, Jason purchased their new home with cash so there would be no mortgage, and he transferred money so Molly could furnish the entire home. He also transferred money to Molly's dad in the amount of $49,073.39, quote, for the marriage, end quote. Okay, that's a really odd amount for the marriage. Uh Uh-huh. What, like, what does that even mean? Was it, was there a dowry? 
Who does that? I don't know. And are those 39 cents really important in this equation? Like, that's so it's weird. It's an exact amount. It's very strange. So back to the physical evidence. Tom called 911 on the night in question at 3 o'clock a.m. Read what he said, Chilla. Tom said, quote, my my uh, daughter's husband, uh, my son-in-law, uh, got in a fight with my daughter, and I, I think I'm... Um, and he's in bad shape. We need help. He he's bleeding all over and I I may have killed him. End quote. Yeah, thank. At least five strikes to the head with a Louisville slugger. And a brick. Anyway, paramedics arrived ten minutes later and found Jason naked on the bedroom floor. He was cool to the touch and Jason had dry blood on him. So how long did these two wait before calling nine one one? And why was he naked? When paramedics tried to lift Jason's head, their fingers went, quote, inside his skull, end quote. There was so much damage to the back of his head. There was significant blood on the floor and the walls of the bedroom, and the brick paver also had blood on it and hair. The chief medical examiner, Craig Nelson, carried out the autopsy and testified that there were 10 different areas of impact on Jason's head and at least 12 blows. It was hard to tell with so many overlapping there was a portion of Jason's skull missing. And Dr. Nelson said that you would expect a loss of consciousness based on the skull fractures. Also, at least one of the blows occurs post-mortem after death. That's a lot. The forensic pathologist said that the skull fractures like Jason's are the kind seen in car crashes and falls from great heights. The prosecutor called it overkill. Toxicology showed the presence of trazodone in Jason's system, which is most often prescribed for sleep, although it was not prescribed to Jason. It was prescribed to Molly after she requested a sleep aid from her nurse practitioner. Jason also had a blood alcohol level of 0.02%, well under the legal limit. Molly had some dried blood on her cheek, forehead, and hair. Investigators took photos of Molly after the murder, and she did not appear to have any injuries on her neck or otherwise. While photographed, though, she kept pulling on her neck, causing redness. The sheriff requested that she stop several times. There were also no injuries to Tom. He had blood on the front of his shirt, the face of his watch, and around his fingernails. No damage to his glasses, which at one point he said had flown off his head in the battle. You'd think with all of that struggling to claim possession of a bat, the glasses that fell off would at least have been stepped on. Read the statement written by one of the deputies upon Molly's arrest. He wrote that Molly was, quote, making crying noises, but he didn't see any visible tears. She was also rubbing her neck. It wasn't a constant. She would do it and stop and do it and then stop while continuing to make crying noises, end quote. Whatever. It's weird. Blood spatter on Molly's pajama bottoms were indicative of her being close to Jason when the blows were struck to Jason's head while he was closer to the ground. If she was so freaked out about being choked and her dad is swinging a baseball bat around, why isn't she backed in a corner somewhere or, you know, calling 911? My thought exactly. And I guess that's part of the reason they found her guilty because it seems suspicious as hell to me. And Tom had blood spatter inside the leg of his shorts, which also indicate he was hitting Jason while Jason was on the ground because blood would have had to spray upwards to get inside his shorts. The brick paver, which defense said was next to the bed because the kids put it there to continue with a painted craft project the next day, showed to have made contact with Jason's head more than once due to the areas with blood and hair on him. Tom and Molly were sentenced to 20 to 25 years in prison for second-degree murder, and the children moved back to Ireland with Jason's family. But 
Tom and Molly appealed. They appealed because of hearsay testimony from the two children that was not admissible during the first trial. Molly had alleged that Jason had abused her during the marriage, but no evidence of abuse was ever presented at trial. She said he had a temper and that statements by the children were evidence to support her claims. Four days after Jason's death, the children received medical evaluations and were also asked questions submitted by detectives. Read the following statement from the Chilling Crimes blog. It states that, quote, the interview conducted with the children revealed that Jason would get angry over simple things such as bills and leaving lights on and referenced incidents where Jason allegedly hurt Molly. In one of the interviews, Sarah explained that she sometimes had nightmares and would come to Molly for comfort, but that Jason would get very angry if she accidentally woke him up, end quote. However, the blog goes on to state that, quote, it is important to note with so much emphasis on interviews given by two young children after their father had just died and while in custody of Molly's family, that both Jack and Sarah have since recanted the statements they made. The children said that they were coached to lie about domestic abuse. They have since told the district attorney's office from their residence in Ireland that Molly coerced them into making those statements, which were completely false, and that it was actually Molly who had been abusive, end quote. Dun, dun, dun. The recantations have been the subject of intense debate. Jack said, quote, Molly made me lie to the people who were interviewing me, end quote. When asked how Molly made him lie, he said, quote, um, she made up a lot of stories about my dad, um, that he was, she said that he was very abusive and she wasn't lying, end quote. Years prior, at the suggestion of a custody attorney, Molly allegedly began to record her interactions with Jason via hidden recorders. Most, she said, had been destroyed or lost. How convenient. Her attorney compared the tapes remaining to other audio of the couple and their children. He couldn't determine what the circumstances were surrounding the tapes or when they were recorded. Apparently, there were smacking noises and some whimpering. It's really hard to tell what's going on, but there weren't very many recordings at all. In 2017, one of the jurors at trial later posted on Facebook saying, quote, we decided on second degree murder for both, but feel Molly was the aggressor and her dad wanted to take the heat for her actions, end quote. They both received 20 to 25 years prison sentences. I don't think there's any question that one or both of them killed Jason, but depending on which account you read and by what source, either Molly was the controlling manipulator or Jason was an alleged abuser. Jason's sister, Tracy Lynch, told Maureen Mayer in an interview for CBS News that, quote, the Martins didn't just murder Jason. They tried to destroy his character, end quote. She said Jason was gentle and would never have been abusive. On the flip side, Molly's friend, who wished to remain anonymous, said that there were signs something was not right in the relationship. She said, quote, just, you know, controlling behavior, some of the, you know, bad language and calling her names. And then it just progressively got worse, forced sex, stuff like that, end quote. Molly never reported any abuse to the police. People, (laughs) you really have to start documenting your abuse. If indeed you are being abused or controlled, You you know, you can see how it turns into the he said, she said, and then it's all hearsay and what's good what isn't document 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 yep clearly the murder was overkill even if it was self-defense i think there's something about using equal force yeah and if it was planned so that molly could have the kids and the insurance money then i guess she got what she deserved jason had named his sister tracy as the legal guardian in case of his death and he didn't want molly to be the mother of those kids so to me that really says something right 
And if you claim abuse and you have no evidence whatsoever, don't ever call police or don't even present it in trial when your abuser can't hurt you anymore. You can't, you're not afraid now. Exactly. Molly and her father, Tom, were eventually granted a retrial last year, which I believe is set for sometime this year. Jason's children, Jack and Sarah, wanted to testify if defendants try to use their disputed interviews right after their father died as evidence at the retrial. But Molly and Tom have been offered a plea deal in lieu of another trial. Daughter Sarah, now 16, tweeted, quote, Molly Martins, my abuser, is offered a plea deal to manslaughter by the DA of Davidson County, Gary Frank. Why? It was murder. The only abuser in our house was Molly Martins, end quote. That's so sad. I know. Well, I suppose you can read all of these accounts for yourself and decide who did what to whom. We will put all of these links in our show notes, but be very careful out there. Pay attention to red flags. Don't get caught up in the love bubble without interrogation. And I do want to bring your attention to the fact that we have started a petition to get coercive control criminalized in the United States. You can go to change.org slash isolated podcast to sign that petition. And that would really help in getting interest brought to this legislation that we really feel needs to be passed. So until next time, we hope that you will be safe, be strong, and survive. If you or someone you love is being abused by an intimate partner, we have resources listed on our website at isolatedpodcast.com. If you have an experience, expertise, or advice you'd like to share, please send an email to notalone at isolatedpodcast.com or visit our website. Your privacy, should you desire it, is a top priority for us. You can support the work of this podcast and help fund much-needed therapy for men who can't afford it by becoming a member through our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash isolated podcast, which also gets you perks and benefits unavailable to non-members. You can cancel at any time. Your five-star review on iTunes will also help promote the show and help listeners find the podcast. Thank you so much for your support.